Well, hi there, and welcome back to another podcast episode of NaturallyHealingAutism.com. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and this show is for often parents and mostly for parents of children on the autism spectrum. But we have a special episode today that affects people much beyond the autism spectrum, and it has to do with the healthcare system. Now, this is something that many of us are being affected by, whether or not you live in the United States, the information that we're going to share with you can be very, very helpful for you. And I have a special guest today who is Dr. Stephen Trobiani, and I'm gonna give you his uh, short bio and introduce him so you get an understanding of why he is the one that I'm inter interviewing for this, and he has some very, very helpful information. So uh, please listen closely, and we're gonna give links to everything that we talked about. So. There's a lot of things that uh, might be detailed, but you'll be able to, after the show, go to the page at naturallyhealingautism.com where this episode is on the podcast page. And at the bottom of the video, I will uh, have the links to the things that uh, we talk about, the websites you need. So you don't have to hurriedly try to write everything down as we're discussing it. So Dr. Stephen Troviani entered private practice in neurology after concluding his residency training at Yale University in 1983. Uh, alarmed by the increasing cost of health insurance coupled with the intrusion of insurers in medical decision-making, Dr. Trobiani set out to find a way to reform the system and to restore the doctor-patient relationship and make healthcare affordable. The result was the creation of his nonprofit 501c3 educational uh, uh, corporation. His, his politics and healthcare reform and its online arm as sustainable healthcare is, his website is, it's a long one, so, so bear with me, sustainablehealthcarereform.org. Uh, Dr. Trobiani is the nation's leading expert on healthcare. He is the author of Amazon, uh, the number one bestseller, Sustainable Healthcare Reform, Harnessing the Power of Capitalism to Fund Our Social Needs. So welcome, Dr. Trobiani, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Karen. I'm glad to be here. And so this story begins with something you hold personal. Am I correct with that? That's absolutely correct. Okay. Um, my mother was a nurse. Uh, she was not only a nurse, she was the head nurse in an intensive care unit uh, at a local community hospital. Now, if you're familiar with intensive care units, that's where we have the sickest of the sick. These are people who are terminally ill uh, and frequently with very serious uh, and difficult to treat uh, conditions. So hers was, needless to say, a stressful job. Uh, in addition to running that job, she also had migraine. Uh, in fact, my father and mother both had migraines, so I was kind of cursed. That's one of the conditions that I developed. Um, her migraine, she managed with an over-the-counter medication called APC. It's aspirin, phenacetin, and caffeine. Unbeknownst to anyone at that time, phenacetin is nephrotoxic. Um, it will kill your kidneys. Uh, if taken in large quantities. And she took a lot of uh, APC to manage her migraine. Uh, so by the time I was 18, uh, she developed acute kidney failure. Uh, now, at that point in time, dialysis for kidney failure was not a covered expense under health insurance. Uh, 
uh, it was also extremely expensive. And my family was not a wealthy family. Uh, so she would have died had not the hospital come back and said to her, uh, you know, you've given your life to us. We now feel it's our obligation to take care of you. So that hospital for the next 20 years provided her dialysis three days a week at no cost. That wouldn't happen today. I can guarantee you that wouldn't happen today in our current environment. Um, and it's not because employers don't feel the same way about their employees. They just simply, the business of medicine has become so corporate that there's no room for heart. Um, and what I want to do is bring us back to what we had, bring us back to what saved my mother's life, bring us back to the kind of relationship that doctors had with their patients, that employers had with their employees, and have the system make sense, have the system actually work. And people getting the care that they need when they need it, and not just thinking, oh my gosh, I need care, but I can't afford it, what do I do? Because there's so much fear going on around that. Yeah, and we can make healthcare affordable in this country again. Uh, now, I looked at this and looked at this and looked at this and said, you know, if first, the first thing we needed to do was figure out why the system was costing so much. Um, because if you go back and look at, and I, I have a chart which is on the website, so I, people should go to the website and look at these things. Um, but uh, back in 1980, uh, healthcare cost in this country was $1,180 per person per year. And that's total cost. That's insurance, out-of-pocket expenses, deductibles, everything. $1,180 per person per year. And what is it today? Uh, it is now $10,544 per person per year. Wow. And how uh, does that happen? That happens from politics? and That happens because in 1980, uh, our insurers convinced our politicians uh, who were concerned that the costs were rising uh, under Medicare, that if they managed our health care, uh, that they could contain cost. Um, well, clearly that hasn't worked. Um, but what did happen uh, is that management cost has, has been driving uh, the, the cost of healthcare in this country, especially for the last oh, 20 of uh, the, uh, what, 35 years we're talking about, or 37 years that we're talking about. Um, if you look at physician incomes between 1990 and 2011, the average doctor in 1990 earned $164,000 a year in the US. Uh, the average doctor in 2011 earned $163,000 a year in the US. So there was essentially no change. Mm -hmm. But if you look at inflation between 1990 and 2011, the purchasing power of those same dollars decreased 65%. So as a consequence, what we're seeing are, are doctors being driven out of practice mm -hmm. because the insurers have structured the payment in such a way 
as to drive doctors out of practice and into employment arrangements with them. Is that making healthcare any, any less expensive? No. Uh, in fact, the administrative cost involved in all of this over that same period of time has exploded. During that time, when physician in incomes were flat, we have seen the administrative cost of healthcare in the US rise by over 3,000%. Wow. And it is those administrative costs which now are responsible for driving the cost of healthcare. So after looking at that, the only conclusion was if we're going to make healthcare affordable, we've got to bring down the cost of healthcare administration. The insurers won't do that because there's a conflict of interest. Uh, the complexity involved in, in the administration of healthcare currently in the US makes the insurer indispensable. So even those people in this country who are talking about trying to uh, create a single payer system won't get a single payer system. Under what Bernie Sanders was proposing, our tax dollars would go to Washington, Washington would send the tax dollars to the states, the states would send the tax dollars to the insurance companies who would then do the administration. So we, wouldn't, we really wouldn't have anything different than what we have. The only, instead of paying the insurer directly, we would pay the government so the government could pay the insurer. But it would be the same insurer using the same very expensive administrative model uh, because they've convinced our government that this healthcare administration is necessary uh, for the management of healthcare. And, it, and if it weren't for this management, costs would be even more out of uh, range than they currently are. It would be even more unaffordable than it is today. I very much doubt that's the case. In fact, I'm all, I'm all I, I can't, I don't have the data to prove it isn't the case, but I can say that if you were to eliminate 80% of the administration, we would drop the cost by 50%. Uh, and healthcare would again become affordable in the United States. Right, except that we know that once that administration's in place, getting them out of place <laughs> and uh, not taking up all those spaces and all those dollars is kind of a hard thing because I know they become paper pushers. And I also know that, just so for the listeners know, we are leading to a solution. Yes. Uh, Robiani has an amazing solution that he has come up with. It's valid, and um, and so he's going to share that with us uh, soon here too. I want you all to know that um, because I don't want this to seem like okay, we're just going down this sad road. <laughs> we have a way out, and it's it, it's very valuable. That's why I invited Dr. Trobiani on the show today because this is something that's affecting all of us, especially right now in, in this day and age. So, uh, you know, the, the Democrats, the Republicans, everybody, you know, not agreeing, they're trying to, to you know, take control of things. So I'm sorry, to, so, so go on Dr. Trobiani and, and uh, complete. So, so what I wanted to make clear is that we can't rely on the insurers to fix this problem because it is in their interest to maintain the current administrative model that we have. It makes them indispensable so that if we were to socialize healthcare in this country, they would still be in the picture. And if we don't socialize healthcare in this country, they're still in the picture. In fact, they're moving to acquire ownership of the entire healthcare delivery model so that they become indispensable either way. 
Um, now, before that happens, we have an opportunity, and I think the opportunity goes to where I started. Employers in this country have a strong interest in keeping their employees healthy, because healthy employees are productive employees. Um, it is one of the reasons why employers either sponsor healthcare or self-fund healthcare, and I need to explain the difference between the two. So if an employer sponsors healthcare, Basically, what the employer does is he buys an insurance policy from an insurer on behalf of his employees. Now, he may have the employee pay a portion of that cost, but the employer is purchasing the policy. And because the employer is purchasing the policy, the employer can negotiate better with the insurer than any, any individual can, because as an individual, you really have no negotiating power. But an employer with 5,000 employees can say, well, I'll take my business somewhere else. Um, in fact, they can say, you know what? I'm not gonna take it anywhere else. I'm gonna self-fund, which is the other opportunity. So if an employer self-funds, what they do is they put money into an account, generally called a health reimbursement account, that, they, that a third party claims administrator will then draw from to pay claims. So they hire a TPA, a third party administrator, to um, receive claims from the doctor's office, um, adjust those claims according to a fee schedule, and then draw the funds from the employer's account to pay the claim. So with that process happening, um, those companies that self-fund typically spend 30% less than those companies that buy a policy that sponsor healthcare instead mm -hmm. of self-fund healthcare. What occurred to me, if instead of saving 30%, you retained 30%, that retained income would eventually get you to the point where the investment revenue on that fund would replace the employer's contribution. And from that point forward, uh, that uh, healthcare becomes free to the employer. So it's no longer now a liability, it's become an asset. Um, because that account is something the employer owns, the funds in that account basically are an asset owned by the employer. Uh, so in thinking about this, I just said, what a novel idea to transform a liability into an asset uh, and allow that asset to grow so that at some point, no one needs to worry about what the cost of healthcare is because that asset has now become so large that it uh, removes any barrier to the access to healthcare for any of those employees within that company. And we could do this within each and every company within the country and 85% of people uh, under the age of 65 get their healthcare through their employer. So yeah. it would solve the majority of our problem. And I know a lot of people listening, there's so many people who own businesses themselves, they are the employer. So whether right. you're the employee or the employer, it's definitely a huge benefit for, for both sides. So what have you um, proposed or what is it that you're developing to do that? Well, I, so I, I looked at this and I just said, well, this, this could actually redefine healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, and I built a company to actually bring this into, into uh, practice. Um, we decided to vet that company with a law firm. So I went to a law firm that specializes in healthcare. And they came back and said, great idea. The only problem is it isn't legal. Um, Section 419 of the federal tax code uh, 
prevents accumulation of funds within an employer-owned account because those funds, if they're not spent in 13 months, are subject to taxation. And under current tax law, that's 35% federal. Uh, depending on what your state is, it can be anywhere from you know 5% to, I think in California, it's 11. Uh, but you add 35 and 11, you've got 46. You know, you're just giving the money away. No employer consequently is going to do it. And that is a huge impediment to solving a problem in a way that would be beneficial to everyone. Because I'm going to cover what this does for the employee as well as what it does for the employer. Um, so I said, we need to change the tax law. Now to change the tax law, uh, I tried approaching my congressman. I tried writing senators. I've uh, tried writing our president. I've tried writing everyone that I could think of and got nowhere with that. So I said, we need to build a movement because no one's going to listen to me as an individual, but they will listen to literally millions of people demanding that we make this change. So to build the movement, I established a nonprofit, and that nonprofit is Politics and Healthcare Forum, the website for which is uh, uh, sustainablehealthcarereform.org. Um, and the purpose of that is to build a movement. Uh, we need funds, obviously, to get a movement going. So we are looking for uh, three types of uh, arrangements. One, donations from individuals who want to support the movement and become involved in that movement. Um, donations from corporations who want to do the same thing, but also from corporations if, if they choose to. Uh, sponsorships, because uh, they can take part of their advertising budget and sponsor uh, the movement and gain uh, some very good uh, exposure from the advertising that we will be doing with them listed as our sponsors, as well as the goodwill that comes from that. So that's what we're in the process of doing right now. Um, I am uh, looking at the uh, prospect for building some live talks and live meetings uh, for people who have an interest in really uh, getting behind this movement uh, and expanding that on a national basis. Uh, certainly getting some uh, media attention both locally and nationally. Uh, I have a radio program that I do once a week uh, that we have been uh, talking about this for quite some time, for about a year now, uh, through that uh, avenue. And uh, uh, for the most part, I just kind of need to, to get the movement moving. And we also have social media, uh, certainly Facebook and Twitter and all of those things. And I'm busy right now building my Facebook presence. Okay. And we'll link, uh, link to those, uh, those pages uh, at the bottom of, again, this page, the podcast page at naturalhealingautism.com. So for those people who, uh, if you're interested in learning more in depth about this, because this gets really, really in depth if we wanted to uh, go there, um, but it, it can get very detailed. So we're kind of giving you a nice overview so you can understand how this can benefit you and your family. If you are an employer, it can benefit you in that way, uh, an employee of somebody of a corporation, how it can benefit you and your family. We as parents of children with autism know that the healthcare system is really not very helpful for us. And there's a lot of people out there who 
have a lot of needs and um, aren't, aren't getting supported in, in what they need. So what we're doing is trying to help people get, get those things in place. And so Dr. Trobiani's website, if you're interested in donating, there is a space to do that or helping or just learning more, go to his website, which is sustainablehealthcarereform.org, and you'll be able to, uh, to learn a lot more of the in-depth pieces, um, uh, especially for, for those of you who really want to get down to the nitty-gritty. That, that, that information is there. Correct, Dr. Trivia? I would encourage them to go to my blog. I have a four-part series in my blog that goes in great detail uh, into how this works, not only from the employer standpoint, but from the employee standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Is there anything else that uh, you want to share real briefly here while we, um, before we wrap up or anything else that might be helpful for people to know? Because I know there's a lot of people kind of hanging on to that hopefulness. And so I'm just wondering if you can kind of share with a, an individual what it, what it would mean for a family, uh, things yeah, like that. Too. I, I think that's, that's well worth doing. Uh, as I said, for the employer, you get to the point where it becomes self-funding. You can actually get there for the employee as well because the only cost for any employee in the system that I've devised is what they put into their HSA. So if you understand an HSA, health savings account, mm -hmm. uh, when you put money into a health savings account, that's an account you own. Um, so it goes into a, it can be an account at your bank, it can be an account that you set up through the employer, it doesn't matter how it's handled, but you own it. And if you leave that employer, those funds go with you. If you, um, stay with that employer, uh, you can have those funds uh, accumulate. And theoretically, those funds, if you don't utilize them every year, those funds can get to the point where the investment revenue replaces your HSA contribution. Because the average HSA contribution is anywhere from 1,000 for an individual to 3,500 for an individual. Um, and that's pre-tax, that comes out before taxes. Uh, it accumulates untaxed. Any investment income on the account is untaxed. And so that one already by law can accumulate to any amount you want it to accumulate to. Uh, there are limits as to how much you can put in. Uh, and again, there are limits as to what people can afford to put in based upon the wage. So I've structured this so that if you're earning $15 an hour or less, your contribution is no more than $1,000 unless you want to make it more. But you're but if you put in a thousand, you are fully insured. You have no copays, no deductibles, no prescription costs. That's it. That thousand you put in is all you put in. Wow. You are fully covered. If uh, if you're making fifty dollars an hour or more, then it's going to be thirty five hundred. But if you're making fifty dollars an hour or more, you can afford thirty five hundred. And I would also point out, if you're young, if you're twenty one and you're working and you don't get sick because you're 21, you put a thousand into your HSA, that thousand still sits in your HSA at the end of a year, so you've actually been fully insured for nothing, for zero. Because and that money just accumulates. It's like right. a personal savings account, and yeah. like you said, it goes with you if you leave that, that place of employment as well. Yeah. yeah, a lot of young people, that's that's huge for them to know as well, because then when you're older and maybe start having a few more needs, then you've got that nest egg sitting there for whatever else, whatever it is that you need it for. Right, and to make the comparison fully, um, the millennials right now under Obamacare 
are largely declining to go buy insurance. And I don't blame them because they're paying a premium that doesn't come back to them. Once they pay that premium to the insurance company, it's gone. Um, and they have a deductible that's so high they'll never meet it. So they're being, we're asking them to pay to be uninsured. Right. That's what what we do in a sense. Our our deductible for our family is really, really high. And, you know, it's just the same kind of thing. You pay a ton of money every month, every year. But then if you ever need it, you know, then you still have this huge chunk of money you have to put out ahead of time. So you're saying all of this is going to be obsolete. That'll go away. It goes away. Uh, Yeah. We're, We're redefining the entire system and doing it in a way that makes sense. Now, you'll, the, the third-party administrator that I talked about in the beginning, because you have to have a separation. What you, you, you can't have under HIPAA, and you certainly don't want if you're an employee, is your employer looking at every bill that comes in from your doctor's office mm-hmm. um, and getting into your business as to what your healthcare is going uh, is doing. So the employer sets up the fund, but that's as far as the employer is involved in healthcare. Um, the third-party administrator is a third party. It is separate. It is distinct. It receives the claim from the doctor's office. It reviews that claim, and it simply draws the funds from the employer's account. Now, before the employer's funds are taken, the employee's annual HSA funds have to be used. So there, there is that. But again, as I said, that's 1000 if you're making $15 an hour or less. It's thirty-five hundred at the other end of the spectrum. If you're if you're making fifty dollars an hour or more, and I stratified it in between. And again, all of that's on the blog on my website. Okay, um, but it's affordable. It's extremely affordable. There's nothing that comes close to touching this. So it's like a uh, real live Affordable Health Care Act. Yeah, <laughs> the pretend one. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it does it without requiring any tax subsidies. Um, now, there are some folks who say, well, you, you know, you're not taxing the corporation on their money uh, that sits in their account, but, you know, we're not taxing the corporation when it puts the same amount of money into an insurance policy and buys it because they write off the entire amount they put into that insurance policy. Why shouldn't they write off the entire amount they put into their HRA? Why should we tax them only because they're more efficient in the way it's being used? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But we do solve a problem, and we solve a big problem if we if we handle it this way. Yeah. Well, you, it sounds like you've really, um, you know, you've figured out the legalities around it. You figured out the the fine tuning and all the pieces. So basically, now it's just a matter of you taking this entire plan that you already have in place, or ready to go. It's all thought out, and you just need to have a, a movement big enough to is to it make, to get it onto uh, the ballots or what what is it that would, make, would actually make it happen uh, all i need is one minor change in the tax law and uh that would have to happen uh uh via tax reform it, it could be part of the current tax reform package uh we're currently saying we want to lower uh taxes for corporations in this country to make life better for them well this is one of those that we could easily do away with uh, let's get rid of any tax on a health benefit account within a company. Allow any funds that are put into that account, because once they're put in, they cannot be taken out for anything other than healthcare. So the corporation's not going to use this as a tax shelter. 
because they've once they've locked that money in there, it's locked in there, mm-hmm. and it can only come out for healthcare uh, unless they want to pay enormous fines and penalties. So it it it, it would just simply eliminate taxation on health benefits. And what will it take to change this tax law? I mean, what do you need? A, a 51% vote in the, in the Senate. Ah, okay. And in order to get a 51% vote in the Senate, it takes lobbyists? It, it takes senators. Senators. Yeah. Okay. Now, the senators currently are listening to the lobbyists from the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Who certainly don't want to see this happen. <laughs> because if this happens, their market will dry up. Right. Um, because no one's going to want to continue paying them the kind of premiums they're demanding when you could put money into an account that that eventually, and I would say within 10 to 15 years, becomes self-funding. So for the average corporation, uh, the cost of healthcare would go away. Now, if the cost of healthcare goes away for that corporation, there are other ramifications. There's money that goes into hiring. There's money, so we we increase... uh, uh, employment. There's that employment can carry higher wages because you've taken away a major expense from the company. They can afford to pay people better. Uh, and we could certainly afford to see wages for the average employee in this country go up. They haven't really risen in 20 years. Right. And it's uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're paying so much for the health care of their employees. Okay. The money has to, is going into there so they can't give it to the employee. Yeah. Yeah, so th- this would get uh, that going uh, going up. Uh, it would allow for uh, funds to accrue in the account. And as I said, if if the company is publicly traded, that increase in value in the company, and we're talking large amounts of money here, for every 100 employees, by the time this thing becomes self-funding, you're looking at a $13 million fund for every 100 employees. So you've increased the value of that company by 13 million for every 100 employees. And it doubles every 10 years. So that goes from 13 million to 26, from 26 to 52, from 52 to 104, and it just keeps growing. It becomes an endowment within the company that will fund then not only the employee during their employment, but the employee during the retirement which solves our whole Medicare crisis. So that'll go into the retirement fund then as well? Wow. Wow, so it just keeps going and going. So there are so many benefits from this that it's something I I am absolutely committed to seeing happen. Uh, It would be a crime for this not to take place. Uh, Only so that we could take a handful of very wealthy insurance executives and, can, and make them even wealthier than they are today, because that's all that's been happening in healthcare. Uh, the uh, United Health Group, uh, who owns United Healthcare, uh, posted double-digit profits last year when they were all complaining that they were losing money under Obamacare. Um, you know, their executive, uh, their CEO takes home on average about $58 million a year. Um, the CEO of CVS, $96 million a year. I mean, these people are getting very, very, very rich off our backs. Um, and this has got to stop mm-hmm. because 
the medical community, I can tell you, the medical community would love to deliver the kind of care we know we can deliver, but that we're just not being allowed to deliver mm-hmm. because the money is being siphoned out of the system into the hands of the insurers. Right, right. Yeah, I know you see even great doctors are just like they can't even do what they know they need to do anymore. And they're having to answer to the, you know, what the insurance will say yes to. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, a state that definitely needs to be changed. And it sounds like you have definitely figured it out, which I personally am grateful for. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are because we've been waiting for something like this for a long time. And right now, especially in the United States with what's happening in the healthcare system and what the president is doing with the healthcare program and, and are not doing um, something's got to happen to help the people. And that's the bottom line. So to get 51% of the Senate vote, you're needing to uh, for when you need donations the donations will do what for you what will they help you to do that needs to actually take place what's the action donations will give get me advertising time Ah. because the the media uh, has been almost as reluctant as our politicians to step on the toes of the insurers the insurers buy a lot of advertising time Mm -hmm. Uh, but they don't care who the money comes from Uh, and if I buy advertise if I buy uh, a commercial uh, time on CBS. Uh, that commercial will air just the same as any other commercial on CBS. Okay. So we can we can get advertising time. We can fund um, a uh, a uh, speaking tour around the country mm-hmm. uh, and get the word out to individuals in in their communities. Uh, so I can go to uh, L.A., I can go to Chicago, I can go to Denver, I can go to New York, I can go to mm-hmm. Philadelphia and uh, put on events that we can get people coming to so they understand what we're doing uh, and get this thing uh, moving and moving forward. And I, I want to point out that it's not only paying for health care in the sense of traditional health care, but more than, than the insurers, because the insurers really have no motivation to fund prevention, they really don't. Um, uh, the, their actuaries determine the premiums that they charge, and the premiums are their income, uh, based upon the risk of disease in society. So if you're an insurer, you may pay a lot of lip service to prevention, but you're not gonna do much about it mm-hmm. because you don't want the risk of disease to go down. Because if the risk of disease goes down, your premiums go down. If your premiums go down, your revenue goes down. They want their premiums to rise, and they do, in fact, every single year. If you've ever paid attention, I've not seen a year in which an insurer has lowered its premium. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I'm an employer, prevention is extremely important. One, if my employee doesn't get sick, they don't lose any time from work, and you don't take you take even less money out of the account that I set up. That I'm because I'm paying for those those visits that you have to the doctor. Mm-hmm. So prevention uh, is a, uh, a, plays a big factor for the employer. All the, the right inducements are aligned in, in this system with an employer, where, whereas they're really not with the insurer. I quite frankly think the, the health insurance industry has outlived its usefulness, and it is time for a major, major change. Now, in addition to prevention, alternative forms of treatment can also uh, be entertained. So 
if I'm somebody who has something that I know is working and I need to get funding for it, all I've got to do is convince my employer that this deserves funding. And it's a lot easier to convince my employer than it is to convince an insurer uh, who just simply say, well, it's not the way our policy is set up. Right. And I practice holistic health and, and that's what we do in our family. And, uh, and you know, most of it isn't covered. And so we have to pay for it out of our pocket, even though we are paying these huge insurance premiums and, it, and nothing's getting covered because uh, a lot of the time the, the alternative uh, modalities, therapies, practitioners aren't covered in these. So these, these basically people could choose what they wanted to do. Uh, and if it was alternative, then it would still be covered as well. It wouldn't be that it was a big no as it is now. It would be allowed. Right. And, and certainly if you can show the benefits to an employer, the employer is going to be open to doing it. Mm -hmm. um, from, from the employer's perspective, this is a cost issue, not mm -hmm. a, uh, not a um, turf issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the medical community will want to maintain its turf. The insurance community, um, working with the medical community, uh, will act in the same interest. Um, but the, and the last thing the insurance industry wants to do, as they're trying to acquire ownership of our entire healthcare delivery model, is expand the ownership they have to acquire. So they do not want to consider alternative care in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. uh, because that just means they have more people that they have to acquire and it's going to take longer and it's going to cost more. Mm -hmm. if you can exclude it, then the ownership uh, takes place faster. So there, there are a lot of, uh, of things that are currently aligned in the wrong direction that would become correctly aligned if we were just to simply get rid of all of this administrative oversight that is basically handcuffing our medical community now anyway, and certainly handcuffing the alternative care community. Mm -hmm. but I think, quite frankly, has a lot to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds, it sounds wonderful. Um, so uh, for anybody who's interested in, in learning more, uh, any more details about this or uh, wants to show it to other people, now that you've heard it, please share this information. Share Dr. Trobiani's website, sustainablehealthcarereform.org. And again, I will link to that on the bottom of the podcast page that this is released at at naturallyhealingautism.com so that the link is there. Uh, I want to make sure that, you know, this, the word gets out. We spread the word. If this is something you feel that you want to support, if it sounds like it feels right and good for you and your family and, and, uh, you know, others who could benefit, then, then what we're trying to do, what we want to do is share, spread the word because it's about people knowing about this. That's going to make a difference because the people can make a difference. If there's a big enough movement, then they'll, they'll basically give us what we want, but we have to come forward as a group. So if you're interested in donating to Dr. Tropiani's website, uh, our uh, program, you can do that on his website as well. Um, but definitely please spread this. If you have social media, spread it there. Just send people to his website and they can learn more on their own. Send them to this, uh, this interview here. Again, it'll be at naturallyhealingautism.com on the podcast page. 
and let people know that this information exists and that there is hope and uh, a great plan that is in place and we just want to help spread the word about it so that we can get this happening and, and actually make it happen so that we can own this and it can be ours and we can have more choices in our health care and um, more financial flexibility as well for not only currently for our health care system but also for the retirement aspects that come into place with that as well um, so please please share this information with anybody you know who could be interested uh, again send them to either this this podcast to listen to it, send them to Dr. Trobiani's website or both. And um, we really, really appreciate you being here today and hearing and listening to this because I know how many people it affects really worldwide. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of people might be in the UK listening in Europe, but these, these things can actually, this whole program can actually be utilized in other countries as well. So it's not just about the United States. Um, it can really help people elsewhere. So um, now that Dr. Trobiani has created this and, and basically done the work for us, we just need to let people know Know about it and educate them about what possibilities do exist for us and share that that information. Dr. Trobiani, do you have anything else to share um, before we wrap it up? Uh, just, just simply that, um, again, social media is a wonderful uh, uh, mechanism for spreading the word. I would ask people if they, certainly if they want to donate, we are, we welcome donations, but you don't have to donate to make a difference. Uh, if you just simply use social media to move this message along and encourage uh, your contacts to move this message along, that in itself will do wonders. Uh, yeah. Because it's all about reclaiming control of our healthcare. That's been taken from us, and we certainly have every right and every reason to take it back. Right. It's our body, our health. <laughs> we yeah. should be the ones making the decisions, right? Not somebody yeah. else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are, are seeing um, things like alternative and various things that, that can help them. They need to be able to get what they want, what they know works for them, because that's what's really, really important. So again, thank you very, very much for joining us today, Dr. Trobiani. We appreciate what you're doing greatly. Um, and I look forward to seeing uh, this program um, come to fruition. So thank you again and uh, take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Karen.